All right. Um, well, I'll start by introducing myself. Hi, I'm Brian Daig. I'm with the University of Vermont Center on Disability and Community Inclusion and uh, welcoming uh, Alan Kurtz and Nicole LeBlanc. Um, could you guys introduce yourselves? And uh, our topic today, sorry, is uh, uh, supporting employment uh, for people on the autism spectrum. So Alan, why don't you start? Okay, my name is Alan Kurtz. Um, I'm a former special educator. I worked in adult services uh, in Vermont. Uh, I've worked at the Center for Community Inclusion and Disability Studies uh, at the University of Maine for the last 28 years um, and worked on a number of projects um, related to employment um, and one on transition for students uh, on the autism spectrum. Um, and I got my PhD in autism education from uh, the University of New Hampshire. Great, thanks. Nicole? I'm Nicole Blank. I live in Silver Spring, Maryland. I'm on the autism spectrum. I wear a gazillion hats. I'm the Padlet coordinator for National Center of Veterans and Person Centered Practices, Self Advocate Advisor, TASH. And I do a number of other little gigs. I'm a policy wonk. Disability employment policy is one of my specialties. I'm the author of the book, Disability Employment Policy 101 and Why Employment Matters. And I, I wanted to mention, if you're done, are you done, Nicole? I'm sorry. Yeah, you can go. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to mention, I have a, a brother on the autism spectrum, um, lives in Pennsylvania. Thank you, and thank you both. Um, you did an excellent, uh, training for us on uh, supporting employment. Um, but we, before we get into the questions, I just wanted you to address the issue of um, sort of identity and labels, because that's kind of been changing over the years of, uh, uh, we always used to use, you know, the person first language and say, you know, some, you know, person with autism, um, but that's been changing more recently. Um, so could you address that before we get started? Uh, hmm. Well, let's see, the autism world, you know, has, you know, some parts of the autism world have, you know, have embraced, you know, identity versus language, you know, cultural identity, you know, autistic person, Aspie, then of course you got the, you know, high functioning, low functioning. Yeah. And I, I think it's really, it's been kind of controversial. And I think- uh -huh, Especially call... when you look at, when you look at the words like high functioning, low functioning, that, you know, those are, those words are, terms are actually more harmful than they are because they're basically terms used to deny people with autism who have higher IQ support services. I think you know, and studies have shown people that get the label low functioning in some cases, you know, they have better adaptive functioning than people that are high functioning who often have poor adaptive functioning and greater mental health issues. I, I think, you know, specifically what you were addressing, Brian, is the uh, there's a tendency within the neurodiversity community to uh, use identity language, identity first language, and say, I'm autistic, or, you know, I, I have an autistic brother. And there are others um, who are, are sticking with uh, the per person first language and saying, um, uh, I'm a person on the autism spectrum, or I, I have a friend who's on the autism spectrum. And I sort of go back and forth with it. Um, and I know I, I, in most cases, I think, you know, I leave it up to the individual. How, how do you want to be referred to? 
Yeah, I've noticed lately, it seems more um, kind of similar to the deaf culture, how they are, they look at, at being deaf or hard of hearing as, as you know, part of their, their culture and language and part of who they are, and they don't see that as a disability. And it seems similar um, that for a lot of folks in the autistic community are kind of adopting that uh, philosophy as well. Would you agree with that, Nicole? Yeah, somewhat. Yeah, talk more. <laughs> Somewhat, you know, particularly, you know, and I think a good chunk of that is some of it, you know, that, you know, the people that are away from, you know, the IDD who don't have the IDD label. You know, there's many people out there with autism that have doctorate degrees, PhDs. Great, thank you. Um, so we want to talk about employment. You know, employment's really crucial for everybody. Um, and we're all in the field of helping um, people with disabilities to find employment. Um, <clears throat> so what in each of your opinions is the most important thing for people to know about supporting employment for people on the autism spectrum? Customer-focused job development, developing carved jobs based on strength, you know, Particularly, you know, don't just stick people in any job. Like, you know, one thing people, especially in jobs that have higher social skills and more and, and that are more likely to require, you know, customer service skills. That's, for example, one area that people with autism can often struggle in. You know, figure out ways to, you know, you know, get people informational interviews. You know, job carving, carving the job to fit the person, not the other way around. Good. Thanks, Nicole. You know, providing long-term job coaching, something that the VR system doesn't really do much of. For me, the beyond 90 days to succeed in employment when it comes to support. For yeah, me, I think. I think the most important thing is that uh, employers, I think support uh, agencies need to realize that people with ASD can be really valuable employees, that they tend to bring a lot of characteristics to a job that can be really valuable to an employer. Uh, a lot of people on the autism spectrum are very methodical and conscientious in carrying out their job duties. Uh, they often perform uh, work of very high quality. People are often very dependable, they're punctual, and tend to be very consistent uh, in the way they work. So I think, uh, you know, it's really important for people um, to understand that. I think also customized employment can be really valuable for people on the autism spectrum. Um, I think carving jobs out that really focus on people's skills or um, you know, looking at specific tasks that they can perform uh, can be really valuable, both for the uh, employee and the employee, employer. At the same time, it's important to recognize that uh, uh, everybody needs some variety in their work. And you know, while people tend to, they can be really focused, uh, I think over time, uh, uh, people on the autism spectrum can really uh, perform well in jobs that require a lot of different uh, skills and uh, require them to do a lot of different tasks. 
Yeah, I've noticed more recently a lot more news stories of uh, employers that are recognizing and actually seeking out people on the autism spectrum, you know, given what you said, Alan, that they do have, you know, specific uh, talents and, and attributes that that they find really helpful. Especially given the workforce shortage. That's true. Yeah. I think that's really a good point, Nicole. And uh... yeah, like, you know, like when I went to the anchor conference, people talked about community knowledge that, you know, closing off immigrants is what's causing this DSP crisis. Direct support provider yeah. crisis. Yeah. Uh, have high expectations, embrace dignity of risk, presume competence, don't assume what a person can or cannot do. Thank you. So what have you found to be the most challenging aspect of supporting um, you know, folks on the autism spectrum in employment? I think one of the biggest uh, obstacles uh, are some of the assumptions that people bring into it. And those assumptions are things like people need to work alone, that they, you know, they have difficulty working around other people. Uh, the assumption that people are going to require a lot of extra training and support. And some people certainly are going to require a lot of extra training. Uh, and maybe some additional support from VR or from a, a, an agency. Uh, but I think we often find that uh, people don't need, you know, require about as much training as other people do. Uh, of course, that's not always the case. Um, but uh, yeah, I think um, the, the attitudes about what autism is and uh, the assumptions people make and where they go with that. Often, you know, they may put, have somebody working in isolation, you know, doing the same task over and over again. Um, and it's, it's important to recognize, you know, the great diversity that exists within the autism spectrum. Not everybody just wants to stuff envelopes. <laughs> right. Good point. Yeah. Uh, you know, lack of, you know, you know, other barriers, lack of job coaching, lack of home and community-based services for people who don't have intellectual disability, like in my case, you know, VR doesn't provide support beyond 90 days. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people need that support that goes beyond uh -huh. You know, days. transit, transportation. Yeah. You know, then of course you get public benefit fears. When you bring come bring in family dynamics. Mm -hmm. One thing I've noticed is just sort of the, the role of um, kind of self-disclosure in terms of employment support. Um, can you address that in just terms of how you might disclose or what, what you need to say or what an employer might need to know? Yeah, just yeah, tell them, you know, you, you're on the autism spectrum, you have a disability, you know, talk about your support needs. And if need be, you know, do it with a job coach or VR counselor or a support person to help in negotiating accommodations. And I, I think that a lot of people I've known have been at times very reluctant to self-disclose. Um, you know, they're afraid that 
people are going to think badly of them because uh, they say they have autism. Stigma. Uh, and, and I, one of the problems is that uh, when people are reluctant to do that, uh, well, I mean, one of the advantages is that people aren't bringing their um, preconceptions about what autism is into the, the work setting. Uh, but at the same time, it's tough for people to get the accommodations they need. I mean, I think of one young man I knew who uh, went to college and uh, he decided, you know, I'm not going to tell people, you know, I have autism. And he didn't get the accommodations he needed and he really struggled his freshman year. But uh, after that, when he did disclose and he got the supports that he needed uh, and the accommodations that he needed, he did really well. Uh, and ultimately went on to have a very successful career. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely going to be important as we, especially going forward as, you know, we figure out whatever this new normal is. Like I know people that are, you know, already being told, oh, you know, you can't stay remote. You need to go back to an office. And I know one person who's fighting that, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for addressing that. And, and I like the way you, you phrase that too. With that, yeah, because you know, when we look at return to normal, if it excludes people with disabilities, oh. but phrasing mm -hmm. it up, you know, having support needs and accommodations, you know, it's not so much about the disability. And, and I've seen that with other just sort of invisible disabilities, and sometimes there's a reluctance to disclose. Um, but then, then they're not going to get the their support needs met. Uh -huh. so, and there's a stigma. Uh, oh, what is so and so going to think of me if I say, oh, I'm not different. Yeah, you know, autism is slowly becoming to have less stigma than, say, bipolar. Yeah, so coming from a family sense. with a, has a history of mental health issues, where it's always been something hush hush. We don't talk about that. Yeah, you know? and if this pandemic, you know, makes anything clear, it's time for disability and mental health to stop being a hush hush, shove it under the rug type topic. Yeah, and I think things like you know, we just got the uh, you know. April is autism either awareness or acceptance month. Um, and I think it's just getting a lot more attention, people learning uh, more about it. So, you know, I think it's becoming less stigmatizing and people are more open to self-disclose because I'm just a firm believer in, you know, in self-disclosing, you know, in order to get those support needs. And like you're an example, you know, Alan, if, they, if they're not disclosing and they have those needs, they're not gonna get met and they're not gonna be successful. <clears throat> I think it's true, and Nicole, you brought that up about stigma. I think stigma around autism is really decreasing. I remember when family mm -hmm. members, you know, the last thing they'd want to hear is, you know, their child had a diagnosis of autism. And yeah, then nowadays, you know, we don't think of it as like, you know, when I first got diagnosed with autism at 21, I thought, okay, that's a boy thing. Okay, somebody flapping, banging their head against the wall. That's the first thing that came to mind when I first heard that word. I'm like, isn't that a boy disability? Not a girl thing. And then it's like, and then slowly during my 20s, you know, during the job co I got, I started, you know, reading up and I'm like, wow, this actually makes sense. Yeah. When I look at back at mild MR and every other diagnosis, it never really made sense. Thanks. Okay. So, what's one piece of advice you would give to employers uh, to help them to be more supportive? provide job coaching, you know, provide extra support. Like if we're in the nonprofit world, you know, editing documents, you know, help with editing, you know, editing PowerPoints, you know, that's one thing area where in my case, you know, a lot of support in. Well, what would you, what would you yeah. like employers to know? 
What advice would you give employers, Nicole? You know, hiring people with autism and other disabilities is worth it. You know, you know, we will reduce your hiring and training costs, lower turnover. You know, diversity is what makes the world great. You know, honesty, dependability, productivity, the ability to narrow focus, just focus on the task at hand and not worry about all the other nonsense and goofing Thanks. off and all that. Thanks, Alan. What would you what advice would you give? I think uh, it's important to understand what kind of supports work generally for people on the autism spectrum. But I also think and probably more importantly, it's important to understand specifically what kind of supports work for an individual employee and what kind mm -hmm. of environment does the person thrive in? Um, mm -hmm. Person-centered. Employment yeah. support needs to be person-centered. It's not, okay, we fit, you fit the system, you know, the system needs to fit you. I, I think- What's it, best for you? I think in general, again, I, I emphasize in general because there's always exceptions. Uh, people on the autism spectrum are incredibly diverse, but I think in general, it's important to be very direct and concrete in your communication with an employee. I think it's really good to use schedules and organizers to help the person. The structure, predictability. Yeah. yeah. Be calm, cool, collected. <laughs> you know, when it comes to management styles, especially, you know, with dealing with anxiety, uncertainty, like, you know, the world we're currently in, you know, being somebody who can help somebody calm down when chaos occurs. I think it's really important. Another thing I think it's really important for employers to know is that, you know, sometimes people don't do so well with downtime. So it's important to help the person understand what to do, you know, if there's downtime, if they're not busy at any given moment. Um, and I, I think in, in general, I think, you know, understanding the kind of environment that's going to work best for a person. A person might have particular sensory needs or, you know, they may overreact to certain sensory stimuli, sounds or uh, things that they see. And uh, that can um, really get in the way of a person being successful and being comfortable on a job. Um, and, you know, it may look as though the person, you know, isn't motivated or, um, you know, they're not listening, they're not paying attention. In fact, it can be those sensory things can be overwhelming and make it really difficult uh, for the person to succeed. Yeah, when we talk about supported employment, um, you know, the first part of that is that discovery process of really getting to know the person. Um, and what we talk about is the ideal conditions of employment and sort of what is the best environment for that person. Um, I know um, in my training, we use a video with the University of North Carolina speech program, and they talk about just sort of structuring the workplace. And they have some great examples of like, you know, one young man who just didn't like being around, you know, close to other people. And so they sort of physically, you know, set the, you know, workplace up so that people wouldn't get too close to him, you know, just sort of had some physical barrier. So, um, you know, once they did that, it was successful for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when, you know, figure out, you know, the environment, you know, a person is more or less disabled based on their interactions within the environment. Like, you know, some people may, you know, 
survive, okay, you know, being out in the back room, others, you know, maybe interfacing with the public. Right, exactly. So like my sister who, who works in retail, you know, she's, you know, often, you know, when it comes to produce, she's in the back. Uh, so what's one piece of advice you would give uh, people on the autism spectrum in terms of helping them to navigate employment? Dream big, go for your dreams, you know, find allies who support you. You know, take, you know, take advantage of post-secondary education programs like Think College, Succeed Program, the LEND Program, Leadership Education, Neurodevelopmental Disabilities, funded by Autism Cares Act. Do informational interviews, go to conferences, network, be a broken record. Mm -hmm. You know, you especially networking, especially, you know, find people who can, you know, figure out ways to, you know, get you into the back door, especially when you factor in, you know, interviewing isn't always, you know, the most ideal, you know, we often do better, you know, okay, here's a list of, okay, you know, articles selling your work samples here, toolkit on this, toolkit on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Nicole, you mentioned interviewing, and I know more people are using kind of the concept of, uh, of video resumes, because um, they might not really interview well, um, but then they can videotape them um, doing certain jobs and tasks and kind of, you know, showing, you know, rather than telling, you know, what their skills are. Mm -hmm. Soft skills are often more challenging for us compared to hard, hard skills. Um. I think the, the one piece of advice I would give is to, um, this is maybe more than one piece of advice. That's okay. Trying to pull a few things in here. But um, I think it's important to look at the environment for different jobs. You know, is it sensory friendly? But I think first possible, it, it may be, it's important to recognize what your skills are and what your needs are and what might be a good job match for you. Um, and, and, you know, it's important to look at, you know, the sensory characteristics of the job, you know, what kind of skills are needed, what kind of skills you need to learn to do it. Uh, and I think it's really helpful to do that with other people. Brian, you mentioned the discovery process. I think person-centered planning, uh, we had a project that we called family-centered transition planning uh, where we had a series of person-centered planning meetings. And I think getting a lot of people together who know a person well and know what kind of supports they need, what works for them in different environments can be just, can be really valuable. Um, and we know, I mean, just uh, building on existing relationships can be really helpful in the job process. Uh, that you know, when we get people together and we talk about possibilities, people know people who um, uh, you know they may be able to contact and help them uh, get a job. I, I think of one person in particular uh, who was in our transition project. Um, uh, we had a person-centered planning meeting and we we're talking about job possibilities. And he was very interested in cooking, and we identified a, a local college that had a great program, uh, a food service program, and uh, he was able to get a paid internship with them. And it, it all came about 
as you know, a group of people who cared about the person and who knew the person well got together and thought about, you know, where can this person find a job or get experience uh, in a job um, that, um, you know, is going to be, that's going to, going to really work for him. I think of another person who, you know, uh, his high school friends uh, came to him and said, you know, we're working for this company. We think you would be good there. And he went and found a job and, and found it himself. So I guess the big thing is to, for me is, you know, working as a team, uh, working with family members, working with friends, working with uh, professionals to to really come up with uh, uh, a job match that's going to work for the person. I definitely agree with that. I've been a participant in you know person-centered planning processes like BAPS and things like that. And you're right, the team is so valuable um, because if if it's just you, you only have your perspective. Um, but then you gather your family and friends and people know you well, they can really add to that. And, you know, I agree, there's a lot of value in, in that process. Um, what aspect of um, supporting employment do you think employers would find most surprising or informative? I can jump in, Nicole, if, unless you yeah, want to go for it. Yeah, okay. you can go into that first. I think, you know, in addition to the fact that people on the autism spectrum can be great employees, uh, which I think a lot of people uh, don't necessarily understand to begin with, I think uh, one of the things that people find may find surprising is that people on the autism spectrum can participate fully in the social life of the workplace or they can often do that. There's a tendency for people to think that people with autism need to work alone or need to work in isolation. Um, and I think, you know, we, we really need to figure out what kind of supports work for the person so that they can interact with their coworkers. Um, uh, and feel like they belong. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that. yeah, because we know that one of the biggest- Belonging is not the same as inclusion. Yeah, one of the things that, uh, gets in the way of successful employment uh, often for people on the autism spectrum uh, is um, difficulties with social interaction. And, uh, you know, I think we've often tried to teach those skills and, you know, that can be really helpful on the job, especially if we sp focus on those specific uh, social skills that a person needs to learn. Uh, at that job and to understand the workplace culture. I think that's really important. We can people tell people, you know, these are the rules and people often do well um, when things are put in terms of rules and they understand, you know, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do uh, in this situation. Um, so I, I think teaching those skills can be really important. Um, but I think also we need to focus on the social environment itself and not just the person. Um, I think, you know, finding people who can be mentors for the person, mm -hmm. especially, you know, that can, a, that can be a mentor around specific job skills and it can you be know, a task. Somebody who can be a natural support. 
Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. A natural support who can, you know, help the person navigate the social environment and, you know, uh, learn to give the person, you know, useful feedback. And I, I think that's where VR uh, support agencies can come in. You know, they can work with people and they can work with employers to help them develop the skills that they need to support uh, successful interaction. Nicole, anything to add on that? That, you know, you know, you know, take part in self-advocacy groups, self-advocacy organizations, peer-run employment programs, where you can learn basic skills, you know, how to be assertive in the workplace, like the higher-up curriculum, you know, peer mentoring, finding role models. So Nicole, what do you think employer, people who do hire people on the autism spectrum, what do you think they would find most surprising once they hire someone? Somebody, you know, hyper-focus, you know, people can, you know, hyper-focus, narrow-focus, boom. Yeah, yeah. That honesty. Yeah. Hardworking, you know, punctuality. Like, I'm like, <laughs> Like me, I'm the exact opposite. My sister Megan is always late all the time. And me, I'm Miss Punctuality. <laughs> Employers you know, like I'm that. The one, like if there's a hill visit, you know, I'm always like the first one. Okay, there. When you look at, you know, some of the tier, you look at every DBS, you know, okay, hill visit here. You know, I'm always the, okay, you know, and I'm always like, okay, you know, leave an hour and a half. If one has to take public transit, leave an hour and a half, get there, the whatever policy meeting before everyone else. I'm the same way, Nicole. I to can't be early speak. is to be on time is the slogan down here. <laughs> being late, the possibility of being late makes me really anxious. So uh-huh. Same here. I'm with you. Like Megan. me, like me, like for example, you know, if, like my sister Megan is she's always, you know, late to work, late to everything. And she's always like, you know, and I'm like, come on, Meg, you know, chop, chop, let's go, let's get out of here, quit fooling around, enough of the makeup. My yeah. sister Megan is somebody who's shy, she's socially anxious, she's had depression, anxiety during her high school years. You look at her, both of us were like the exact opposite in some ways. In my experience, what I think uh, employers find surprising is um, uh, you know, initially they might have some uh, skepticism about hiring somebody with a disability, uh, but once they do, I think they're um, often maybe surprised that they that they can be a good worker but I think what what surprises them most is just sort of the the value added um, that they bring to the workplace you know because they bring their own personality and characteristics and things like that and you know that's one of the things uh, I and sometimes we come with our own health insurance Medicaid buying <laughs> right um, but I think employers you know find that surprising that uh, um, it, it really just adds to the workplace in, in many ways you know besides just their productivity we're not asking the employer to be charitable when right. we ask them to hire a person. Yep. Yeah. Diversity is great, great for business. It can boost productivity and boost your bottom line. That's right, yeah. Especially nowadays with all the shortages. And there's, I think the organization is SAG and I've gotten to know some people from there in the last year. It's a large multinational 
uh, corporation that does like uh, cloud-based, uh, um, I don't know, um, technology. And uh, they, they've, they've decided to, uh, that having a diverse workforce is really going to strengthen their company. And part of that diversity is neurodiversity. And uh, they have a lot of people on the autism spectrum who they've hired. And it really benefits their organization pretty dramatically. That's great, yeah. More, more companies need to know that. Mm -hmm. All right, well, any um, final words as we finish up here? Nicole? Mm -hmm. uh, well, embrace autism. Autism is amazingly unique, totally interesting, sometimes mysterious. Yeah. Well said. Diversity is great for business. <laughs> you know, and it's important nowadays, you know, as with all this talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, that autism and disability be at the table, especially in the nonprofit social service sector. You're you exactly know, right. Rider agencies should be hiring people with disabilities as peer mentors. Great. Thank you. Alan, any departing words? I just that uh, I've always been amazed in situations I've been involved with where how successful people have been, you know, with a, a, a just a little bit of support usually. You know, some people require more ongoing and uh, intense supports, but uh, 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 when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're not a puzzle. You know, we're not a puzzle piece to be solved. Even though many of us, you know, at times may think in puzzles, we can predict trends, you know, honesty, predicting trends, like, you know, for instance, you know, like, you know, like I've, you know, predicted, you know, all like, you know, I've, like when CDC guidance, you know, made decisions to like roll back mass I've predicted, you know, seeing the trend that I can predict, okay, that's going to result in this surge, that surge. Told you that was coming. Yeah. So I think that's a really good example of, you know, um, you know, someone on the autism spectrum bringing some, you know, you know, needed skills to a job and valuable skills. And, you know, we just, you know, more employers need to learn uh, just how valuable uh, that uh, employees on the autism spectrum can be to their, their uh, uh, businesses. Great. I agree. Well, thank you both um, for the amazing training that you did for us uh, and for this podcast. Um, How was all the feedback that you got? It's been very good. <laughs> so thank you both so much. Okay, thank you. All right, take care. Yeah. Bye, Brian. Bye, Nicole. Bye.